Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. We are going to be teaching through Psalm 32, but just to set the context, we're going to look at Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are what we call penitential psalms. And that's a big word for saying, I'm sorry. Okay, so these are, are the I'm sorry psalms. The I'm sorry psalms. And so, psalms of confession and repentance. And um, the context today for these, both of these psalms is, is David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Do you remember that story? Do you remember me saying when I say, do you remember that story? And you don't remember it. I always give a text, almost always. So you need to go back, Haley, and read that story if you don't remember it. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 11 uh, tells the story of David who had everything. He's the king. He should be, he was living high on the hog, had everything going for him. But he liked a few things. He liked contentment, and he liked self-control. And so the scriptures tell us on a, on a, on a night or a day when he was supposed to be off to war, he was there home. A time when kings go off to war, he was at home, and he was on his rooftop, and he looked, and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And she was beautiful, and he lusted after her. He sent for her. She came to him. He treated her like... She was his own wife, and she conceived, and she then reported this to David and told him that she was pregnant. So David, taking matters in his own hands, trying to figure out how he could solve this problem, he sent for her husband, Uriah, who returned from battle. David tried to send Uriah home to be with Bathsheba so he would think that the child was his. But Uriah was a faithful soldier. And instead of going home to his wife, he spent the night at the king's door. And David, when he heard of this, he said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat, to drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I would do no, I will not do this thing. So here you see the integrity of Uriah, his faithfulness to, to his king and to his commander. And after another futile effort to get this faithful soldier to go home, David sent a letter by Uriah himself to Joab, his commander, over the armies. And he, told to put, he was told to put Uriah in the front lines and to fall back so he would be killed in battle. And that is what happened. Horrible story, isn't it? story of David and his sin. Well, a short time after, Nathan the prophet, you remember that story? Nathan goes in a real unobtrusive way, shares a story with David, and rebukes the king. David is, sees his sin for what it is, and he responds in repentance. 
Let's look at Psalm 51. We're just going to look at a few verses here, verse 1 through 4, just to set the context. David, right after he was rebuked by Nathan, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He needed to be cleansed, didn't he? That he had committed some heinous crimes before the Lord. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He was saying, I I deserve your judgment. I recognize that. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart of God. You will not despise. And so David is confronted with his sin. And it's interesting, isn't it? He didn't see his sin until a godly man pointed it out. That's the role of the church today, isn't it? We need Nathans. Hunter, you need a Nathan in your life. I need a Nathan in your life, in my life. Miss Becky, you need a Nathan in your life. That's what the church's role is. And because of this godly man, David saw his sin and he was able to repent and turn from it. Look at verse 13. He says, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. See, David committed this heinous crime, but he he was a God-fearing man. Remember, he was a man after God's own heart. He acknowledges that he deserved God's worth. He, de- he deserves God's judgment. And notice what he says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He says, return to me the joy of my salvation, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point people towards you. I want to try to help people avoid sins that I've made. And I think what's happened in verse 13 here, this teaching transgressors ways, I think that we see that taking place in Psalm 32. Psalm 51 is right after Nathan rebuked David. And Psalm 32 comes a little little while after the fact. But I think the context is the same. So turn to Psalm 32. We're going to be looking at this verse. I think Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of that vow in Psalm 51, verse 13. Point out a few things to us here in Psalm 32. We've read most of that already as a congregation. We're going to do more of those responsive readings. I'm not sure how you like doing that. If you like reading it all together or you like doing it in parts, we're going to be doing that more and more in the weeks to come. But if you've got any ideas about that, let me know. We're going to be doing that more and more, reading Scripture together. Psalm 32. The first thing we see here is we see sin defined and sin experience, Morgan. Verse 1 through 4. Look at chapter. I mean Psalm 32. Remember, we don't say chapters, right? It's a psalm. It's not a chapter. It's a psalm. 32, right? We make mistakes sometimes, don't we? Verse 1 through 4. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, what we're looking for is these synonyms of sin. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceits. Uh, the deceit. You see this parallelism. We said as we study the Psalms, one of the things we want to do, hermeneutically, we want to learn how to, how to study the Psalms. And so one of the things we do is we look for parallelism. We pay attention to that. And we try to put it, if we don't, if it's difficult for us, we try to put it in our own words. And what you see here is the same thing being repeated 
over and over again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So look at the synonyms for sin. Transgression. What is transgression? If you transgress the law. Do what? Yeah, you, you rebel, right? It's just out, outright rebellion. You know what you should do and you don't do it. Or you know you shouldn't do this and you do it anyway. You transgress the law. When you're driving down the highway and on the highway speed limit is 55 miles an hour, you see 55, you look at your speedometer, you're going 59. And what do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. We all slow down. Now, we should, right? But then you're like, you just push it on. You're going, what are you doing? You're transgressing the speed limit. Yeah. So anytime there's something you know you shouldn't do and you do it, you're transgressing the law. It's rebellion against the law. And then, then he says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Okay? So sin, it means to miss the mark. To fall short. To miss the mark. And, and I think about this. How do we miss the mark? I, I just think about the two greatest commandments. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many of you love God with everything you have? Right? Yeah. We fall short of that, don't we? What about loving your neighbor as yourself, Haley? Do you do that? No, we, we fall short, don't we? We don't measure up. That's, that's sin, right? Blessed is a man, verse 2, who's, whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's our other synonym for sin. So you have transgression, you have sin, you have iniquity. What does it mean? By iniquity, iniquity means to twist the truth, to, to twist, to bend. So if we pervert the truth for our own good, think about filing your income tax and you lie on your taxes. You're bending the truth, right, for your own benefit, for your own good. What does he say there in verse 4 or verse 3? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So David is, is thinking back about the whole episode with, with Bathsheba and Uriah, and he's, he's had this unconfessed sin, this rebellion in his heart. And what was his experience? He says it was miserable. This unconfessed sin... It, it, it led to my sickness. It made him feel old. It was oppressive. He was wasting away. He's aching under the consequence of sin. And that's what sin does, doesn't it? It robs us of our vitality. It robs us of our strength. Where else do we think of, when we think of sin making us sick, sin affecting us in a way physically or emotionally, can you think of another example in Scripture? Next week, we're taking the Lord's Supper. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we read this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. For anyone who eats and drinks, the Lord's, talking about the Lord's Supper, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are what? Weak and ill, and some have died. Yeah, what's the result of unconfessed sin? Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's sickness. In, in Corinth, people died because of it. 
they were taking the Lord's Supper in a real flippant way. You remember, they were just coming together and having a big party, and they weren't thinking about the, the Lord at all, taking this holy, wonderful, reverent moment and just making it into a, a sham, right? As a result, some of them were, were sick, and as a result of the sickness, some, some of them had gotten so ill that they had died. Where Jesus, another incident that I thought of in, in John chapter 5, Jesus healed the man that was by the pool on the Sabbath. And he healed them, and it was, a, it was a large crowd there, and he just kind of mixed them in with the people, and he was crippled, and now he's walking around able-bodied, healthy, and the people are asking what happened to him, and he said, he, they said, who did this? And he was like, I, I don't know. And then Jesus runs into him again, and he says, he found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. See, he was crippled before, right? See no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This man was sick, well, he, Go and live in a life of repentance so you, something worse doesn't happen. Worse being what? Could it be judgment? Could it be sickness? I think it could be both, right? Not walking in the Spirit as Christians. Living in the flesh. Not keeping short accounts with the Lord. It can stress us out. You ever been stressed? Does it affect you physically? I have what's called a heart arrhythmia. It's like um, my heart races and it's beating out of my chest, you know. It's like this isn't, something's wrong. And, but the doctor I go to, he says, yeah, there's all different kinds of arrhythmias and yours is fine. I'm like, well, my heart, feel it right now. It's do, 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 do. He's like, yeah, it's okay, totally. I'm like, it don't seem right. He said, yeah, it's not, not a problem. He said, what causes it? It's like, well, the first time I... I had this was, I ran, in, I, I ran into somebody in China. I was driving, and I ran into somebody. And so, you know, you've got 30, 40 million people. I'm the, only, I'm the only white dude driving a car, and I ran into somebody, right? And it was a very stressful time. Adam had a similar experience. He could share that with you. Crazy, crazy time, one of the craziest times of my life. But that's when all this stuff started happening in my heart because I was stressed out to the max. Yeah, stress can cause those kind of things. Yeah, cause difficult. Stress can cause stomach. Any of you have a nervous stomach? Ulcer? Anybody ever had an ulcer? You know, what's that caused by? Yeah, usually my stress, right? Yeah, so sometimes we have these, these rebellious seasons in our life, and it affects us physically and emotionally. Of course, it affects us emotionally, right? Yeah, because you're carrying around guilt and wallowing in your sin. I mean, think about it. I'll give you a scenario. Um, you get in, a, in an argument in the morning. Mornings can be stressful, right? Getting everybody up, getting ready for school and all this kind of stuff. And you get kind of stressed and you say something. I'll say because I'm a man. The husband says something to the wife very short. Says something very mean-spirited to the wife. And before you know it, the kids, he's yelling at the kids, right? And so he's, he's, he's made everybody mad. Everybody's like, look around. Everybody's looking around like, look at it. Don't look at your husband, don't just look at me. Don't look at your husband, okay? Everybody's turning around looking, elbowing. Um, yeah, everybody's trying to get off to work, and before you know it, everybody's mad. And so you go to work mad, and um, you come home, wife, cold as ice, right? Kids mad at you, don't want to talk to you, right? You don't, let, you don't, you don't make that thing right. Well, before you know it, what do you think? You're thinking, then all of a sudden you're thinking that you didn't do anything wrong, and then you're mad, right? So you're you're mad, and they're mad, and everybody's mad. Yeah, what happens? Yeah, you get this in your stomach. 
just ugh, right? Just stretch, your blood pressure's up. You just don't, even physically, emotionally, you're a wreck, right? Because things don't go, if things, aren't, if things are bad at home, they're just bad, right? Yeah, this unconfessed, unrepentant sin, you're walking in rebelling against the Lord, what happens? Things just don't go well, emotionally, physically, it's just, yeah. And that's what, what David's saying here. When I kept silent, when I was hiding my sin, right, I wasn't bringing it out in the open, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I was thinking about, I was thinking about roadkill when I was reading this. You know, roadkill, something gets hit, a possum, a coon, or, or armadillo, or whatever. And what happens? It dies, it's lifeless, but then everything keeps hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And what does it do? Especially in the summer, it just bakes. You know, you smell it for the first few days, right? And then after a while, you don't smell it, but it's still there. But slowly but surely, that thing just dries up and just ebbs away. It's broken down and, yeah. That's what I thought of when I thought I'd read this text. Yeah, living in open rebellion against the Lord, it affects us, doesn't it? And God can be kind of heavy-handed. Yeah, not kind of, he can be. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You experienced that heaviness, that heavy hand of the Lord, that heavy hand of discipline, going through those, suffering the consequences of rebellion against the Lord. A buddy of mine did that. He wanted to leave his wife. He found somebody that he thought would fit him better. and He didn't want to listen to counsel. And so that's what he did. He walked. Grass is green on the other side. We found out that wasn't true. Miserable. Got an ulcer. Got an ulcer. Going through that divorce. Yeah, rebellion against the Lord affects us. The heavy hand of the Lord is upon us, right? It saps the life out of us, right? It's Charles Spurgeon, he says, uh, he's, in his autobiography, he mentions his the guilt that he carried for years before he repented and, and surrendered to the Lord. Let me read the little excerpt of this. When, but young in years, I felt with much sorrow the evil of sin. My bones waxed old with my roaring all the day long. Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. I hungered for deliverance, for my soul fainted within me. I feared lest the very skies should fall upon me and crush my guilty soul. God's law had laid hold upon me and was showing me my sins. If I slept at night, I dreamed of the bottomless pit. And when I awoke, I seemed to feel the misery I had dreamed up. Up to God's house I went. My song was but a sigh. To my chamber I retired, and there with tears and groans I offered up my prayer without a hope and without a refuge. For God's law was flogging me with its ten-thonged whip and then rubbing me with brine afterwards. So that I did not shake and quiver, so that I did shake and quiver with pain and anguish, and my soul chose strangling life. Strangling, my my soul chose strangling rather than life, for I was exceedingly sorrowful. And he goes on to say, God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts, but it is awful when it presses down. Yeah, sometimes we experience the heavy hand of the Lord. For a lost person, someone who's has yet to repent and surrender his will to the Lord, it's a miserable, miserable experience. But for a believer, 
to know the grace of God and to walk in rebellion. Oh, what a miserable time we have, don't we? But this, this guilt and this heavy hand is, is good for us because it shows us there's more to life than this, isn't it? It said those who appreciate most the gift of God's forgiveness are those who have felt most deeply the guilt of their sin. So what do we do? We see sin defined and sin experienced. And we've all had that experience, haven't we? Most of us have. There may be some here who's, who's lost and yet you've, you've yet to, to, to really feel the weight of your guilt and sin. But for us believers, we've experienced that. So what do we do? How do we handle this sin in our lives? Look at verse Five, our part. What's our role to play in handling sin? Look at verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There you see that, that sin and iniquity and transgressions. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So what's our part? Well, David, what did he do? Eventually, when, it, when Nathan came to him, Hunter, and pointed out his sin, what did he do? He, he confessed his sin and repented of it. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Confession. What is confession? He says, I acknowledge my sin. What is it? Confession is seeing our sin the way God sees it. Right? Yeah, seeing our sin the way God does. And it's not just admitting that we're sinners, because everybody would say, yeah, are you perfect? No one would say yes. Everyone says, yeah, I, I do sin. But confession is also rejecting our sin as repulsive. He, he, he talks in verse 2. He, he writes, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whom, whose spirit there is no deceit. I, I think there's deceit in the spirit of a person who admits with his mind that he's a sinner. Yeah, I'm not perfect. But he feels no revulsion in his heart towards that sin. Admitting, just admitting that we're sinful is not enough. There has to be a hatred. We have to be appalled at it. And you say, well, why is that? Why, why must there be this confession and repentance over sin? Well, it, it's rooted in, in the character of God. I mean, think about it. God, the creator, the one who's given us all good things, he's given us life and he's given us breath and every good thing. We, as his created beings, have, have rebelled against him. And so what he calls us to do is he calls us to see our sin the way he does. And what is, how does he see our sin? He hates our sin. He's appalled by it. So he wants us to be a, a, appalled as well. To see our sin the way he does. See its effect. Not just on us, but on him. We sinned against him, Jeff. He's, he's done nothing but given us grace and goodness and blessings. He's the sovereign ruler. He gives us life. Should we not be in anguish? Should we not be sorrowful when we rebel against him? Or is the one who gives us life and breath and every good thing? There's a godly sorrow that has to be involved. To seeing our sin the way God sees it. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We, we talk about this with our children, don't we? 
children disobey, uh, you got to bring your iPad to me. You can't, you can't act that way. You can't respond that way. You can't treat your siblings that way. Bring me your phone. Bring me your iPad. And what do the kids do? My world is ruined. My life as I knew it is over, right? And there's worldly sorrow. Why? Because they got caught. There's consequences, right? But this godly sorrow is different, right? We talk about this with our children. What's godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is seeing our sin the way God sees it. You didn't get your chores done. You didn't do what you were told. And you knew that. You transgressed the law of our household. You sinned and rebelled against the Lord. And so, as a result... This is the consequence. But you should not be so sorry about the consequence. You'd be sorry about how you treated the Lord, and how you treated your mother or your friend or your classmate, right? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. We have to have godly sorrow. We have to see our sin the way God sees it. It's coming to God on, coming to God on his terms, right? And yielding to the Lord. If you have someone in your life that is perpetually offending you and insulting you, can you just overlook that and embrace that person in relationship? No, that's difficult for us. That's not our experience in life, is it? We just sweep things under the rug and kind of move on. That doesn't result in reconciliation. So what's our part? Our part is acknowledging our sin is seeing it the way God sees it and, and having sorrow over it and turning and forsaking it. Saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I acknowledge that you should give me your worst. That's what I deserve. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah, we, we can't hide our sin, right? Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. Who covers his sins, he who conceals his sins, his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Yeah. He wants us to confess. What is our part? Our part is not hiding our sin, but confessing, having godly sorrow, repenting of it. What is God's part? How does God handle sin as we repent? Well, in verses 1 and 2, we see these synonyms for sin, right? Transgression, sin, and iniquity. And yet we see three synonyms for forgiveness as well. We see forgiveness. Blessed is one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So we see these synonyms as well. What does it mean to forgive? Well, it means to carry off, to take away. We think about in, in Leviticus 16. Do you remember the story of the scapegoat? If you don't remember, read that, Leviticus 16, okay? The scapegoat, what happened? The high priest would come and he would lay his hands on the head of this goat, Elise, and he would confess all the sins of the nation. And they would take that goat and they would take it out into the wilderness. And it was this ceremonially, right? The sin of the nation was taken away into the wilderness. So that's the picture here, forgiveness. Your sin is taken away. David, even though he had committed these heinous crimes and sinned against the Lord, sinned against Uriah, sinned against Bathsheba, he says, blessed is the one who is forgiven, whose sin is covered. What does it mean to be covered? It means our sin is out of sight from the Lord. Those who repent will never have their sins brought up in judgment. 
Our sins are covered. You, your sins are not counted against you or not charged to your account. It's kind of an accounting term for the, you accountants. It's not, your sin's not credited to you in your column. Same word, is, think about Abraham, Genesis 15, 6. six Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him, right? It was counted, he counted it to him as righteousness, the same, same term. It's this idea of running up, you have a charge account and you just keep running up, buying things, buying things, buying things, but you don't have any money to pay for it, right? Well, your sin, those who are forgiven, that sin is not counted against you. How can one be forgiven by this just God who has the right and the obligation to pour out his wrath upon us by humbly confessing and repenting, not hiding your sin? So that's our part, confession before the Lord and bringing it to light. And in God, what does he do? He covers and he forgives and he doesn't count it against us. God's part is he forgives a sinner. Look at verse 6 through 11. The blessings of forgiveness. These blessings. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. What's this forgiveness, talking about experience forgiveness, what, how would you explain that? The forgiveness, if you're a believer, how would you explain that forgiveness? Anybody? Words? Put that in a, some words. What's it like to be forgiven? Anybody? Yeah, freedom. You're freed up. Freed from that bondage, right? Anybody else? Okay. Good. Anybody else? There's a change. Ma'am? Ma'am? Lifted burden. Yeah, the weight of the world. Yeah, the weight of the world. You just feel lighter. The weight of the world. Freedom. The Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. There's a peace, freedom. Yeah. The burden's removed. Joyful. Yeah. There's joy there, right? Yeah. Instead of guilt and shame, there's joy. Yeah, there's something, even, even among ourselves, when we sin against one another, there's just something about going to someone and being like, man, I was wrong, brother, and I, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? Says, yeah, that was very hurtful. But I'm glad you came and talked to me. Yeah, I forgive you. Wow. What happens? That guilt and that, then all of a sudden it's like, free. You're so thankful. Thank you for forgiving me, right? Because I'm free, right? Yeah, your sin is covered, right? Forgiven, it's taken away like the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Look at verse 6. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach in the water. I think that's referring to judgment, right? The one who's received forgiveness from the Lord has no fear of judgment. 
Notice the one who's disciplined by God now declares that God is his hiding place, right? He's their refuge. You need a refuge? Instead of running from God in fear of judgment, now, because of forgiveness, because we've confessed and repented, we can run to God and are safe, right? He's our safe room, if you will. There's a story of these wagon trains, and they used to go out west, right? And they were going out west, and they... The first wagon, the wagon train, topped a hill. And when they topped the wheel, wind was in their face and they smelled smoke. And they saw there's a prairie fire coming their way. And the wind started picking up. And they knew there was no way that they could outrun it. There's nothing they could do and they were just in despair. And the leader of the wagon train, he went all the way back to the back, of the, past the last wagon. He lit the, lit the fire. He lit the fire in, in a bunch of different places. And the same wind that was driving that prayer fire towards them and was going to take their lives, that same wind, that same wind that was blowing that fire towards them started blowing the, the other fire away from them. And so they gave it a few minutes, and then what they did is they got in their wagon, they circled the wagon around that, and they rode into that burnt area. But the, 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 the fire, the prayer fire, was still being blown there, that way, and it got closer and closer, and they were engulfed in smoke and and one of the little girls was crying out, saying, are we, are we really safe? Because they kept saying, we're going to go to safety, we're going to go to safety. And she's like, are we really, really safe? And the wagon master said, yes, we're safe because we're standing where the fire has already been. David, in that point in time, he trusted the Lord. He, he confessed his sin and he repented, he, trusting the Lord to do for him, something that hadn't been done yet. Trusting God to do something that he hadn't done. Of course, us on the back side of the cross, what do we do? We trust in what Jesus has already done. Right? Yeah. So David is receiving forgiveness. But his sin, that sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, when was it paid in full? When was it paid for? Yeah, on the cross, right? Are we, are we safe? Yeah, we're standing where the fire's already been. Yeah, we're safe because of Jesus, right? He's taken our punishment for us. Look at verse 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And I've really struggled with this verse. Is this David speaking or is this the Lord speaking? And I kind of concluded, I think this is David prophetically speaking on God's behalf to his people. And he says, he promised to instruct, to teach, to guide his people. And he goes on to say, don't don't be like the stubborn mule or the obstinate horse, right? Without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That understanding will not stay with you. Yeah, David is saying, don't be obstinate. Don't be in rebellion against the Lord, where God will have to have his heavy hand upon you, right? Repent, confess and repent. And then you conceive your instruction. You, think about it, believer. When you're walking through those rebellious time, maybe it's an incident with your wife, and um, you've had words, and you're both at odds with each other for a few days, or whatever the incident may be. Maybe you're just whatever. Maybe you've got some stronghold in your life, and that is keeping you from studying the Scriptures, from, from, from seeking the Lord in prayer, and you're just walking in the flesh. You're trying not to think about that sin that happened two, three, four, five days ago, maybe a week ago, maybe months ago, and you're just walking in the flesh. 
it's really hard to hear from the Lord. It's really hard to learn from the Lord, right? And because of this guilt and shame, you don't draw near the Lord in prayer. You don't read the scriptures. And so the God, God really can't teach you. David's saying, don't be like that. Don't hide it. Conceal it. No, bring it out in the open. Confess and repent. Then the Lord can instruct you. And you've experienced that, haven't you? I know you've experienced that where you walk in the flesh for a few days. You don't want to bring this thing up to the Lord. You just kind of act like it didn't happen. Trying to get through life. Yep, there's no fellowship. There's no intimacy. You know, God, you don't feel the prompting of the Spirit and the, the God bringing Scripture to your remembrance, right? You just kind of, uh, you put your, put your earplugs in and you're just trying to live life. Try not to bring it up. David's like, don't do that. Don't hide and conceal your sin. Let's bring it to the Lord. Let's keep short accounts. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Look at verse 10 and 11. We'll finish up. Many other sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Verse 7, he said he's preserved and surrounded, right? And then here again, you see this surrounded again. There's this blessing of protection for those who repent and, and trust the Lord. You know, David knew what it was like to walk in the flesh and to rebel. And it was not a good place. Living his life the way he wanted to live it. But he had also experienced this sweet intimacy, right? Sweet fellowship with the Lord that resulted, uh, that results in repentance. He's, he's, he's experienced that. So he writes this psalm to encourage us. And as we try to find application, we said as we study the psalms, we're, we're going to continue teaching the Psalms for, for a little while. But we said we're going to do something different in, in, by way of application. We're going to ask, firstly, how does this Psalm inform our minds? How does it affect, what effect does it have on how we think about God and ourselves? And so how does it inform our minds? I think we, we have to know admitting our sin is not enough, just acknowledging that you're sinful. Acknowledging that to the Lord is, is not enough. We have to see our sin the way God sees it. Have to have godly sorrow over our sin. Second is we have to repent in order to be forgiven. Right? In order to be reconciled to God. In order to have that, that guilt and shame taken away, we have to repent. That godly sorrow leads to repentance. We have to repent. And thirdly, I, life's hard for, for us when we can try to conceal our sin. Whether you're lost or whether you're a believer, life's hard. There's no joy in it. Hearing around the guilt and the weight of our sin. So that's how it informs our minds. How does this psalm stir our heart? What effect does it have on our affections? Again, I mean, everything that we have good comes from the Lord, this gracious God who's given us life and breath and everything good. Think about all the good things you experience in life. They're gifts from God. And yet we, we're obstinate sometimes, aren't we? 
rebellious. You think about, God doesn't even have to bring conviction upon us, does he? He really doesn't. I mean, his, his justice determines that he punishes sin. He doesn't have to bring conviction. He could just pour out his wrath upon us. In fact, his justice demands that. But know that your believer, your punishment was poured out upon Christ 2,000 years ago. If you're not a believer, I would say you're, the guilt and the shame that you experience is it's weighty. It brings misery. But there's freedom to be had. You can't cover over your sin. You can't hide it. You have to confess and repent of it. And lastly, how can this psalm transform our actions, our habits? Well, that's easy, isn't it? For the sinner, it's repent. Confess your sin. Hate your sin. And repent. And I, and I say that, that's your responsibility. It is. But you know, the Lord has to bring that about in your life. You can't, you can't at any moment say, I'm going to repent and trust the Lord. There has to be godly sorrow. And so that's why we pray for you if you're lost. That when you come, you would hear the Bible being taught and God would break your heart over sin, show it to you. That you would have godly sorrow. You would just admit it. You have godly sorrow over it and you would turn from it. You would be able to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Are you burdened down with guilt today? Has the Lord's heavy hand been upon you? If so, repent and be free. Your sin can be covered, can be taken off your account. But you have to repent. And what about for us believers? Well, he wants to instruct us. He wants to teach us in the way we should go, but we have to yield to him and his word continually. And I think, too, for believers, lastly, we have to keep short accounts. I mean, David, we see this story coming off the story in 2 Samuel 11 where David committed this horrible sin. He's confronted with the prophet. He, he re- confesses it, repents, turns from it. But he says about his experience, while I waited and tried to cover and hide my sin, it was miserable. God's hand was upon me. And that ha- we've, ex- we've all, if you're a believer, you've experienced that. So Adriana, what I would say, one way of application is just keep short accounts. When we sin, when we rebel, when we sin against one another, we need to make that right immediately. When we sin, when we rebel, when we do things we shouldn't do, which we all will do today and tomorrow, keep short accounts. Bring that to the Lord. Lord, I was wrong. I'm so thankful Jesus died for me. Help me turn from it. Yeah, keep short accounts. It doesn't do us any good, does it? To we kind of put our blinders on and try to live life. We don't want to bring that up. We're just going to live life. 
not think about it. We just waste away, don't we? No joy, no intimacy with the Lord. Psalm 32, there's blessing in forgiveness. And I hope you have it. I hope you can say that you've been forgiven, that God has granted you eternal life because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. If that's not the case, repent today and trust the Lord. If you're a believer, maybe today you've, the hand of the Lord has been upon you because you're, you're not walking with the Lord. You're living in a life of rebellion and sin. Maybe that's how you're, because of how you're treating your family, your husband or your wife or your kids, or maybe it's whatever. Repent. Repent today. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.